Well, good morning, church. Good to have you in the room with us and those who are watching online. As Trevor said, we're going to kind of wrap up this current sermon series on the unhurried life. And we've been talking about how we can bring our anxiety and our unrest, our procrastination, all those things to Jesus uh, in Luke 11. We've looked at a couple weeks that Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus is inviting all of us to bring our burdens, our weariness, our busyness, our commitments to him, not so he can carry those things for us, but that he can carry them with us, carry them with us. Now, a little disclaimer, this is a sermon that I've been working on for about three and a half weeks because I was scheduled to preach the weekend of the great uh, uh, freezing rain that we had went virtual and Trevor preached virtually. So I've been trying to deal with this sermon and it's really something God has convicted my heart about. And it is a, uh, it's an uncomfortable message for me and I believe for us today. I wanna begin by showing you uh, some pictures of a house outside of Cody, Wyoming. It's one of our favorite places to visit. We have some friends that have a house there. And Lee Smith was an engineer who started building this house uh, without a blueprint. It's called the Smith Mansion. He didn't have a plan. He didn't calculate the cost. He worked on weekends and some evenings. And this house eventually ended up costing him his marriage and his life. He fell off the roof and died while working on this house. Lee Smith put his entire life into the material things that cost him everything. And today, when you look at this house, there is no eternal value in his efforts other than a house that is rotting and is in a state of disrepair. John Stott said this, the Christian landscape is strewn with the wreckage of derelict half-built towers, the ruins of those who began to build and were unable to finish. He goes on to say, for thousands of peoples still ignore the warnings of Christ and undertake to follow him without pausing to reflect on the cost of doing so, the cost of following Jesus. If you're able to stand, would you stand for the reading of God's word? I want to read to you from Luke's gospel, chapter 14. And I'm reading from the message paraphrase version. One day when large groups of people were walking along with them, Jesus turned and told them, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brother, sisters, yes, even one's own self, can't be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me can't be my disciple. Is there anyone here who, planning to build a new house, doesn't first sit down and figure the costs so you'll know if you can complete it? If you only get the foundation laid and then run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish. Everyone passing by will poke fun at you. He started something he couldn't finish. Or can you imagine a king going into battle against another king without first deciding whether it's possible with his 10,000 troops to face the 20,000 troops of the other? And if he decides he can't, won't he send an emissary 
and work out a truce. Simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father God, I thank you that Jesus has spoken clearly to us this morning about the cost of being a disciple, a follower of his. Give us courage to get into this text. Give us conviction to look at our lives. And Father God, give us the commitment to follow you. Give me words to speak. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Now, if anyone is building a house right now, you can relate to these words of Jesus. Supply chain issues are off the chain, right? In December of 2021, there were 1.7 new million, 1.7 million new homes started to being built. Tariff increases have driven, between the U.S. and Canada, have driven timber costs up 20%. So it's important to pay attention about counting the cost especially in today's time. In Jesus' time, he, he is saying that a, a farmer would build this tower and surely this farmer would calculate the cost uh, and this tower he would build for lodging or store equipment in or food, but also a lookout to protect his crops from thieves and animals. And if this tower was left unfinished, he would be seen as foolish and a failure, humiliated, because he started something he couldn't finish. And he goes and gives the illustration of the king who is going to go face another army that has twice as many soldiers. And surely this king who faces the possibility of losing the battle, but losing his life and the lives of many of his soldiers, losing his kingdom, surely he's going to count the cost and go and negotiate a treaty, a, a surrender even. See, these crowds that Jesus is talking about were excited about following him. Why? Certainly, he's an incredible speaker. He's an amazing teacher. But he's also feeding thousands of people, taking bread and a few fish and multiplying them. He's raising people from the dead. There are people being healed, and these people were in a hurry to see what he could do for them. Now, Jesus is unique because he's not trying to draw a large crowd. He's trying to form a movement of people who will go and change the world. And in forming this movement, Jesus gives them the small print up front. He tells them the cost, the sacrifice, the commitment it'll take to be one of his followers you know, that's not how the devil operates. When the devil tempts us to sin, it's all about the fun, the feeling, the fame, the moment, the crowd, the buzz. And then later comes the small print and there'll be hell to pay. There'll be suffering. There'll be broken relationships. There may be bondage, imprisonment, and death. The small print always comes last with the evil one. Jesus gives us a small print up front. So I want to say to you this morning very carefully 
Don't be in too big of a hurry to follow Jesus without first counting the cost. Now, I say that with respect and a bit of fear and trembling because there is an urgency about following Jesus. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And so if you're listening to these words and you've not given your heart to Jesus, I certainly want you to do that today. But also I want you to hear this message that there is a cost. You know, Trevor did did a good job a few weeks ago talking about the difference between hurry and haste. Hurry and haste. We need to have haste about making the decision to follow Christ. Now, what I think is going on here in this passage is there's an obsession with Jesus, but not an obedience to Jesus. We can get obsessed about Jesus and the church because of what it can do for us. But are we willing to be obedient to Jesus for what we can do for him and what we can do for his kingdom? And so this morning, I want us to think for a few minutes about the need to calculate the cost. Calculate the cost, Jesus says. Billy Graham, the great evangelist, said one mistake the older generation has made is that we have not clearly presented presented to the younger generation what it costs to follow Jesus. Now, he says we need to share the joy, we need to share the thrill, the excitement, the goodness, the grace of having your sins forgiven, the gift of eternal life. But we also need to share there's a cost in following Jesus. And as we calculate the cost, it's always going to involve priorities, people, places, and plans. Priorities, people, places, and plans. Jesus is speaking in a forceful way here. This is a strong word for us today. That to follow him, to be his disciple, we have to love him more than we love anything or anyone. We've got a wonderful uh, Christian counselor in our midst this morning, and one of the things that he teaches is priorities. And And he says that Jesus needs to be at the top of your totem pole. And we've all got a totem pole in our lives. And having Jesus at the top is what he's saying in this passage. It's the same truth he expressed in the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Put him first. And it's a difficult teaching. Jesus is saying, if your life means more to you than to me, you can't be my disciple. If your life means more to you than it does to me, you can't be my disciple. Now, some translations even say that unless we hate our father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, and sisters, you can't be a follower of Jesus. Now, the word hate in this context means Jesus is calling us to love people less than we love him. That we are to love Christ more than we love our people. That we are to love Christ more than we love our possessions. That we're to love Christ more than we love our place. And we're to love Christ's plan for our lives more than we love our plan. And I've learned in, in, in 50 years of being a follower of Jesus that when I love Jesus more than my people, I love Jesus more than my place, I love Jesus more than my plans, then I love my people a lot better. I love my people better. I love the places he puts me even more. I love the plan that he has for my life. 
because I love him. So he's not taking your love and, and, and destroying it. He's taking your love and expanding it and making it deeper and more profound and greater. Now, the cost of following Jesus means we surrender. It's about obedience. To be where he wants us to be, to do what he wants us to do, saying no to my sin, saying no to myself, saying no to my secrets, and saying no to my selfishness. And I want you to hear this, friends. It's not about becoming a minister. It's not about becoming a missionary. It's not about becoming a monk. It's about following Christ in the place that he wants you to be. It's about following Christ with the plan he wants you to live out and with the people he brings into your life. You know, many years ago, when Lynn and I were engaged, and well, before we got engaged, I asked her this question. I've shared this before. We were walking on the beach, and, and I shared with her that, you know, that God had called me to be a pastor, and I really love you, and I, I think I'd moved from like to love by that time. You know, when you have this conversation, you, you like, and then you love. I really love you, and, and, and I got to know, I got to know, are, are you willing to be a pastor's wife? Are you willing to, to, to do this? You know, I'm scared, you know, because I know that I've, I've got to follow Christ here. And Lynn said, yes. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is good. This is good. This is a win, win, win. You know, and uh, it began a great journey. But as I look back on our time together, I really believe that Lynn has paid more of a cost to follow Jesus than I have. When we were married and, and we headed off to seminary, Lynn put her college on hold to get a job so that she could help me and us pay for seminary. And then when we left seminary, we went to, and, and in doing that, she moved 500 miles from her twin sister. She moved 500 miles from her family that she was so close to, but she was willing to count that cost. And then later we moved to Missouri and she moved 1,000 miles from home. And again, willing to do that because she loved Jesus and she loved me. But if she did not love Jesus, trust me, she would have not moved 1,000 miles from home because I'm not that good. But Jesus is, right? And then how Jesus is in his goodness and his kindness, he allowed us then to go from Missouri back to Conway and Lynn got to spend the next 10 years being close to her family. But then 28 years ago, the Lord called us to come to Lexington and Lynn said yes. And she was willing to count the cost. And so saying yes to Jesus is saying no to good things so we can say yes to great things. All of those things that Lynn said no to were good things. Yet God has blessed us with some great things. So one of the questions is, will I follow the rush of the crowd or will I choose to follow the rule of Christ? There was a large crowd following Jesus till he gives this talk. And they were not willing to submit to the rule of Christ. See, curiosity has got to move to commitment at some point. And Jesus was preparing the disciples for this great adventure of taking the gospel, taking the good news of God's love to a pre-gospel world. The world had not heard the gospel. The world was pre-Christian. And these disciples were willing to count the cost. And once being filled with the Holy Spirit, they would go and they would change the world. And it would cost every one of them their lives in sharing the gospel. Now, our world has changed. 
In the middle of the 20th century, when I began ministry and, and did a, a, at least half of my ministry, more than 90% of the people living in the U.S. consider themselves Christians. In, in fact, in, in the 20th century, you were almost Christian by default. The laws and norms and values were based on Christian thinking. Institutions like schools and businesses and governments widely supported Christian identity. For much of our history, it has not been difficult to be a Christian. In fact, it's been difficult to not be a Christian. And I think some of that difficulty, not difficulty of being a Christian, that 90% of the population claiming to be Christian, but not really counting the cost, has damaged the credibility of the church, had damaged the, 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 the credibility of, of, of the kingdom of God. Because we had a lot of people who said, yeah, I'm a Christian, but their walk didn't match up with their word. And it affected the credibility of, of the church, in, in this, at least in the West. And yet here in the 21st century, most of the people in our culture are not Christian. And Christianity is under increasing attack. As we see an anti-Christian bias in the media, the breakdown of the family, the disruption of biblical anthropology and the Christian understanding of sexuality, the shift from absolute truth to whatever truth. Being a Christian is now considered offensive to much of the culture. Today, there is a cost to identify as a Christian. When you put it out there on social media that you are a Jesus follower, there's going to be a cost. When you put it out there that you believe that God's word is the word of God and that you're going to live by the word of God, there's going to be a cost. There will be people who will unfriend you because you are taking a controversial position. But know this, that throughout church history, over these last 2,000 plus years, the church has thrived in a hostile environment. In fact, the church rarely thrived in a friendly context. And so today, I believe that we are being called as Christians to take the gospel to a post-Christian world. Those early disciples took the gospel to a pre-Christian world, and we get the excitement of taking the gospel to a post-Christian world, but there's gonna be a cost. It's an opportunity to restore credibility and integrity to the Christian message. But what is the cost of not counting the cost? You say, well, you know, this is really, this is hard, and you know, I'm not sure I want to lose a bunch of followers on social media. Um, so what is, what's the cost of not counting the cost? Uh, Hunter S. Thompson, a quote that Chad has this weekend, a man who procrastinates in his choosing will inevitably have his choice made for him or from him by his circumstances. You're going, to make, you're, going to, you're going to follow something. You're going to chase something. You're going to count the cost over something. What's the cost of not counting the cost of following Christ? You know, I think I'm going to give you some things that I believe there's a cost, um, but, but there's even greater cost to not follow Jesus. The first is untapped potential. There is such enormous potential here this morning, either online listening or here in this room, incredible potential as Christ followers. We look at what those early disciples did, those first followers of Jesus, when they were fully surrendered to counting the cost, they changed the world. 
we have the same capacity in this room. Jeremiah 29, 11, a great verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I don't want to, I don't want to ever run the risk of missing out on my God-given potential. Secondly, there's unprotected treasure. It's a big cost. The purpose of the tower that Jesus is talking about was to protect. The king was to protect his soldiers and his kingdom. And I believe that when we decide the cost is too great to follow Christ, we put our family, our children, our grandchildren at risk. We put a generation at risk. And the church is always one generation from being extinct. We see what has gone on in Europe. And whenever people begin to not be willing to count the cost, there are these massive, beautiful cathedrals that sit empty because people were not willing to count the cost. Jesus made it clear that we are not to lay up treasures on the earth where thieves and moths and rust can destroy, but instead count the cost and lay up your treasures in heaven. That means we invest in eternity for families, for friends, with our time, our talent, our possessions. Jim Elliott was studying to be a missionary at Wheaton College when he wrote these words, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Don't be foolish when it comes to counting the cost of following Christ. An untapped potential, unprotected treasure, then an uncertain future. Jesus said, what good is it if a person gains the whole world but loses their soul? To me, there is incredible peace in knowing that my soul is secure, that my eternity is secure, that I know that if something happens to me today, on the way home, or at the end, middle of this service, I kill over, you can say, Pastor Jeff, he's gone to be with the Lord. He was certain about that. There, there's a cost associated with that, and I've received that from God, the gift of salvation. But, you know, I had these three, and then something was missing. And I've been listening to this song, and some of you have listened to this song. It's playing right now on the Contemporary Music Channel, uh, music channel uh, called The Woman at the Well. How many of you heard that song, The Woman at the Well? Wow, I love that song. And I, every time I listen to the song, I say, I need, I need to go watch that video. There's probably a pretty cool video with that. And so last night I said, I want to watch that video. And I, I did a little Google search and I found a video of the song. And it actually plays in the chosen a part of the narrative of The Woman at the Well. And then I went to say, I need to find this story about the young woman that sings this song, Olivia Lane. And so I Googled Olivia Lane and I came across her testimony. And boy, her testimony really spoke to me and it spoke about how important it is to count the cost. Olivia Lane, at 16 years old, attended a Methodist church. And she said that, you know, the Methodist church she attended was all about rules and regulation and not about relationship. And she said, at the age of 16, I became an atheist. I stopped believing in God. And at the age of 16, I wanted to chase a dream and I was in a hurry, so I moved to LA to be an actress. And I chased that dream for a while and I realized that wasn't what I needed to be doing. So I moved to Nashville to become a songwriter. Wrote a couple good songs and put together a band and we traveled the world pretty good singing our songs. 
But then while on the road, she started to lose her voice. And she knew she needed to take a break, and so she came back to Nashville. She knew she needed to get her life together, so she made an appointment with a therapist. And her therapist says, you need to get in touch. One of the things she said, uh, you need to get in touch with your spirituality. And she said, as an atheist, I didn't want to get in touch with my spirituality. I had no spirituality. But I started looking at all these different religions, and she said, I kept coming back to Jesus because of his love and his grace and his mercy. It's just one evening I was sitting in my living room reading a book and all of a sudden she said, I felt this joy and this peace come over me. It was incredible. And she said, then I know you're not gonna believe this coming from an atheist, but then Jesus appeared to me in my living room in, 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 in kind of like a cloud, a haze, but there he was with his arms outstretched and I knew he loved me and I knew that he was real and it changed my life. And so I started writing these songs about him. And I wrote this song called The Woman at the Well. And the words are so powerful, staring at an empty bottle. Anybody here been staring at an empty bottle? I, I caught a glimpse of him, and he met me there at the bottom and turned that wine into living water when a broken woman met the Savior of the world. You see, the cost of not counting the cost is an unknown peace, an unknown joy, and an unknown purpose. I'm so glad that Olivia Lane saw Jesus. Now, what if the cost seems too great or the challenge is just too hard? You know, that's a question that, that I've never, I won't say never, but I've, I've not wrestled with a lot. I know some people are really wrestling with that question right now. Maybe you're here today and you're wrestling with the question, you know, this is just too hard, Pastor Jeff. I just, I just not sure I can make that kind of commitment. You know, it's just, you know, the world is kind of going a different direction and it's not a popular thing right now to believe in Jesus and believe in the Bible. You know, I think I just, maybe I'll just check, check out for a while. And we see that happening. People checking out of their faith. Well, if today you're at that crossroads and the cost seems too great, and the challenge seems too hard. For me, what I did during this past week, I started reading about the persecuted church. I started reading about the 100 million Christians that are facing violence and abuse and persecution and imprisonment and death for counting the cost and following Jesus. And I said, what can we learn from those Christians? And I was beginning to read and study and, and look at their testimonies. Here's some things that I learned from them. That when the cost seems too great, and the challenge seems too hard, look to the example of Jesus. Read what Isaiah said, for sure he took on himself our troubles, but he was hurt for our wrongdoing. He was crushed for our sins. He was punished so we would have peace. He was beaten so we would be healed. Look at the example of Jesus, the Son of God. Read 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered for our sins, once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Those 100 million persecuted believers in our world look to Jesus. They remember his victory. They celebrate his faithfulness. And here's what else they do. They look to burn brighter for Jesus. They don't go dark. They don't go silent. They burn brighter. 
we have a tendency when it gets a little bit tough to go quiet, to kind of hush up. I love these words from the message version of Romans 12. Don't burn out. Keep yourself fueled in a flame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. And then these 100 million persecuted believers look to the witness of the saints that have gone on before. Therefore, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles us. I got to look at the witness of those who are persevering and have persevered. And then look to learn God's word. You know, in, in the persecuted world where Christians are being beaten and put in prison because it's hard to follow Christ, a Bible is like gold to them. If they get their hands on a Bible, it's gold. And you and I have 10 or 12 Bibles laying around our houses. For some of them, if they can get a page of the Bible, just get a page of the Word of God, then it's powerful for them. And for those who go to prison with no Bible, they put the Word of God in their heart. It's what Psalm says. What does it say there in Psalm? I love these words. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then these persecuted believers, they focus on eternity. When you're in prison for your faith, when you're facing the firing squad for believing in Jesus, you got to look to eternity, right? Revelation 22, look, I'm coming soon. Says Jesus, bring him my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat their fruit from the tree of life. When things get too hard, think about how things are going to end. It is going to be the tree of life that's going to give me eternal life through Jesus Christ. So I would say to you this morning, my friends, that counting the cost is worth it. And don't be in too big of a hurry to unfollow Jesus after counting the cost. Again, over 100 million persecuted Christians have counted up the cost, and they believe that the cost to believe in Jesus is worth it. I have given my life to Jesus. He's blessed me beyond measure. And I am thankful to live in a world, a culture where I'm not being persecuted, not being put in prison because I believe in Jesus. But I will tell you that because of what Jesus has done for me and the witness of those other believers, I'm not going to back down to a culture that says, you shouldn't say that. You shouldn't lift up that truth. And if I get unfollowed, I get unfollowed but I'm going to be a follower of Jesus all the way through. Again, 100 million Christians have counted the cost. I love what Ren Collective, they wrote, they wrote a song for the persecuted church and the, and the lyrics say, I have counted the cost and I will carry my cross because real love is not afraid to bleed. Real love is not afraid to bleed. Look to Jesus. Real love was not afraid to bleed. And if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, there's a cost. But real love 
is not afraid to bleed. I heard a story about two weeks ago in a sermon I was listening to by a pastor. And he tells a story of a group of folks getting ready to climb Mount Blanc. It's the largest, tallest mountain in Western Europe, 16,000 feet. He was meeting with the group and they were going over the plains. He said, now what you're gonna need, you're gonna need an ice ax, you're gonna need to have good boots, and you're gonna need to have some rope. And then when we get together, if, if I need you to carry something else, I'll give you something. Well, one young Englishman in the back says, well, you know, uh, I've been training for a long time and I, I've been looking forward to this for a long time and, and I, I wanna take a camera with me. I wanna have a few lenses with me and I wanna take a blanket so when I get up near the top, we can have a little bit picnic. I, I wanna take a chunk of cheese and some chunks of chocolate. It's gonna be great. And, and, and the, the, the guide said, you know, I'm sorry, sir, you're not gonna make it with that stuff. Oh yeah, I've been training, I can make it. He says, well, then you need to go ahead and leave now. <laughs> you need to get a head start because you're really gonna struggle. So early the next morning, they launch out. And, and as the group's going up the mountain, they start seeing a few camera lenses. Then they find this really expensive camera. Then they find a blanket. They start finding chunks of cheese and chunks of chocolate. And then they see the young man. He made it to the top with an ice ax, his boots, and a rope. And this pastor goes on to say it's the same way in following Jesus. He says, you can't come to the top with everything you're holding in your hands. But we say, yes, we can. And we try to. And then Jesus says, well, you're on your own. And the tragedy is when we find we cannot reach the top, with everything we have in our hands, we let the top go and we settle down in the valley. And the valley is full of tents. John Oxum in a, a great English song, hymn writer says this, or wrote this, the high soul climbs the highway. The low soul climbs the low way. And in between the misty flats, the rest drift to and fro. God help us for settling and God keep us from settling on the low road or just drifting in the flats. One last verse for you this morning. Jesus says this in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement, he, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. There is a cost associated with following Jesus. The gift of God is free, but there'll be a cost. I just wanna say thank you and thank God for the many of you in this room and watching online that are paying the cost of following Jesus. You're counting the cost. You're putting Christ first in your life and you found no higher joy, no better purpose, no greater reward than following Jesus. I wanna thank those mentors down in Aiken that spent the weekend with a bunch of eighth graders. That's counting the cost. But many of you in this room are counting the cost. Thank you. If you're here this morning, and you haven't given your life to Christ, you'll never find a better source of peace. You won't ever find a greater purpose, joy. Christ has come to give you life, life here and now and life eternity. I want you to receive his gift. I want you to count the cost. 
Father God, I thank you that today you're speaking to us about our lives, about our futures, about our reason for being on the planet, the places we're living, the people in our lives, our plans, our priorities. And Father God, help me, help us to put you first, to count the cost. And Lord, then, then you will put us in a place that will be full of purpose, that the plans will not just affect today, but affect eternity. Our love will grow deeper for the people that you put in our lives. Lord God, thank you for all the people in this room and listening online that are, that are serving you, that are following you. And Lord, none of us follow you perfectly. We all stumble sometimes. But Lord, give us the strength to get back up and keep walking. And Lord, help us to walk into a world that needs to hear about your love. Send us to people who are desperate to know Jesus. Father, thank you for what you're doing here today. And may we magnify you in our lives. May people see you magnified because we have put you first in our life. Not overshadowed by anything else, but shining forth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.